a month or so ago, when I kind of sensed that uh, this series was going to be called Extreme, there you go, uh, I didn't know at the time uh, of what was going to happen in our world, and over this last week or so, obviously our newspapers and our apps have, have, been, have been telling us that you know there's a lot of extremism going on in the world right now with the reaction and response to the film about Islam. And can I say, what I'm saying is not that. I am not talking about that. Extremism is terrible in any shape, in any size. And that's not what I'm saying. So when I use the word extreme, please don't think of that. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. It does slightly annoy me and frustrate me, however, is that our media tends to take extreme acts in one religious expression and put every religion in the same bracket. Have you noticed that? So it's talking about Christian and Jewish as well. And, and of course, that's not really what's really happening, but that's another subject and another talk. But what I felt God gave me really for this month that we're going to be in now, just over this next three or four weeks, is just this phrase, this word extreme. And these two phrases, what are you willing to do and how far are you willing to go? What are you willing to do and how far are you willing to go? And it amazes me how extreme people are in their lives. I mean, the lengths that people will go to is amazing. So the first thing is the lengths people go to just for kicks. And so you've seen extreme and you've seen all this extreme stuff that we've got here. This stuff all belongs to one family in the church. (laughs) And behind there, I've got a whole load of other stuff that also comes out of the same family. Now you're dying to know who it is, aren't you? Iris and Brian McDonald. It's unbelievable. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) No, I'm joking. I'm joking. It actually belongs to the son of a family in the church. He's in his 20s and apparently he's a real adrenaline junkie and there's loads more of this stuff. But it's amazing what people will do for kicks. And of course, last Sunday, if you were here, I launched a series on video because I was in Albania and, um, and you know, with, the, with the, the green screen and the whole thing. And of course, somebody, Andy Hancock, who used to work for this church who used to be employed by this church, but is now who's desperately seeking further employment. No, he's not. I'm only joking. He set this whole Facebook social media thing going that I'm going to do a bungee jump or a skydive or something like that. No, 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 no. Stay, stay there. <laughs> Jesus, no, 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 no. Steady, 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 steady. Now, that all, when I was in Albania, watching all the, all the comments come through, I'm like, no, this is like, what's happening to my, to my iPad? You know, this is going bananas. I've never had so many comments in, or likes or anything in my life. And the problem is, as I've said to Andy, gently, that's exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to say is that we will do all kinds of things for kicks and for a rush. What would we do for God? Having said that, my sister, God bless her, she researched a skydiving opportunity for me. It's really great. Apparently it's a family thing. My mother's going to do it as well. You didn't know that, mother, did you? No, <laughs> joking. Now, I've said to her, Nick, are you happy to do that? Because other people want to do it. And she said, yes. Yeah. So if you do want to skydive and we'll raise money for the building, knock yourself out. You can go do that. I'll be really pleased. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that people will do all kinds of crazy things and put their bodies on the line. But what would we do when it comes to our relationship with God? What would people do? What lengths do people go to for love? You've probably seen this image. The Taj Mahal. I had the privilege of going there with Dan and Mark and Shirley as well. This was done for love. The guy, the Shah, who, who actually built that, did it for the love of one of his wives. Now, usually in our household, if, if I bring a bunch of flowers, my wife says, what have you done? 
imagine that conversation. When he, <laughs> when he, here, oh, darling, I've brought you something. What have you done? You know, so, but he did it for love. He did it for love. What would people do for sport? Chris Hoy, one of our legendary, sorry, I know you're not all British or all English, so just indulge us for a moment, but Olympic gold medalist. Listen, listen to what it says about Chris Hoy. He trains indoors on a bike until the lactic acid produced in his thighs burn, causing intense pain. Then he stops and he does this three more times until his thighs hurt so much that he literally falls off the bike onto a plastic mat where the lactic acid continues to burn for the next five minutes. Often the pain is so intense that he is physically sick. And he chooses to do that. Like he does that, it's so extreme. He does that so that he can win that gold medal. That's what he's willing to do. That's how far he's willing to go for a gold medal. What am I willing to do? How far am I willing to go for my God? What am I willing to do to push through, to experience God in new and in fresh ways? People do all kinds of crazy things for kicks, for love, for sport. They do all kinds of unbelievable things for revenge as well. This picture here is... um, taken from where I was staying last week in Albania. I spent three days in Duras uh, at, the, at the youth conference. Then I went uh, two hours north to a, a city called Shkodra in the north of Albania and I stayed in a church in the top of, of a building and right opposite the balcony was that building which is the largest mosque in the Balkans. And so there was a mosque there, then there was a, an Orthodox church and a Catholic church and then there was this very small evangelical church. And I went there to see friends of ours called Elona, and uh, many of you know because I've told her story many times here in the church. Elona and her husband, Tani, I met many years ago, and uh, two years ago on October the 8th, Tani, her husband, was shot and killed in the street outside the church. In fact, she took me to the spot where he was killed. Uh, Elona's in her early 30s, she's got a young son, uh, Gabriel, who's 12, and Sarah, who's 7, and uh, when Tani was shot two years ago and killed, it was because his family were wrapped up in the blood feud. And um, his uncle, who was a criminal, had killed somebody else. And so that family was at war with that family. And for six years, they lived in fear of somebody exacting revenge. And on the 8th of October in 2010, Tani, on his way from the church, literally a few hundred yards to the car to go and pick up his son from school, was shot by a 20-year-old lad who knew exactly what he was doing, who knew he would go to prison, but it was okay because he was the youngest. He'd go to prison and his family will bribe him and he'll spend about 10 years in prison and he's happy to do that for revenge. And my friend Alona had had a massive decision to make there. What does she do? And what she's decided to do in the middle of this, she's not from actually that part of the world at all. She's from the south of Albania. What she's decided to do is to lead the church She's in her early 30s. She's the only female leader of a church that we know of in Albania. She's also decided, uh, felt God told her to set up a foundation that's lobbying the government to bring to an end this horrific crime of the blood feud. And she's also visiting 40 families in that community who are all locked in their houses because they're all locked up in the blood feud. And, And what she said to me when I got she says, I'd like you to come with me and I'd like to come and visit some of these families in their homes. Now, I've done lots of pastoral visiting in my time, believe it or not, okay? Um, but I've never been into a situation like this. And I have to tell you, I was nervous. Because the first place that we went to, she said, three weeks ago, this man's two sons were outside the front door when someone from the other family came and shot them 60 times with a semi-automatic weapon. So the 22-year-old son was killed outright. The 24-year-old son miraculously took a bullet five millimeters from his heart and he was dragged back into the door. 
Three weeks ago, that happened. She says, I haven't been able to see them yet. It's just been too painful for me. But now you're here as well. Would you come with me? And we'll go and we'll see them. So we went visiting. And so we went visiting this family. There's a mom mom and a dad. And um, this son, uh, who's bandaged up and everything, 24-year-old and his fiancée. And we sat in the the garden talking about what had happened. And um, the, the only funny thing that happened to me in this whole experience, really, was that she said to me, when you go to the house, whatever they give you, you must take. You must have it, because otherwise it will offend him. So we got in, and um, sure enough, they gave us some, something and very, very strong Turkish coffee, and that was fine. I felt I needed that. And then a cigarette. <laughs> and I haven't had a cigarette since I was 14. So do I inhale or what here? And then <laughs> I don't really know what to do here. I can't remember that far back. Mother, you didn't even know I did have one at 14, but there you do. <laughs> Awkward moment when you realise your mother's in church and confession. Awkward. And, th- and, then, and then they gave me some rakia. And if you don't know what rakia is, it's very, very, and this is homemade rakia, it's very, very strong alcohol, spirit. And I don't really drink spirits at all. Um, and um, I thought, right, I've got to drink this. And I thought, okay. I remember being in Bulgaria and they take it back in one. So I thought, I'm going to take it back in one. So I took it back in one and all of them went, whoa, 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 like that. And then after I took it back, I went, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm like, I'm not going to stand up for at least half an hour. <laughs> and so I did all of that. And, and then I listened to the story. And then I listened to them talk and obviously through the translator. And I tried to say some stuff. And it was quite harrowing, if I'm honest, just to listen to the pain. And, you know, and, and the son saying, when I'm better. When I'm better, one of them's going to die. And then we went and visited another family. And here's that photograph of this other family. And here's Elona and her sister Vasca. And this is Christy from the church. This lady here in the middle, you probably can't see her. She's 39. And if you could see the photograph, she looks 59. The woman next to her is her sister-in-law who's 49. She looks 69. They live in the house there in just one, a couple of rooms. There's her, there's her alcoholic husband who beats them all the time. There's the sister and there's eight kids. And as I walked in and I sat in the living room and above the door, there's pictures of five men. And I said to her, who are the five men? She says, they're all men who've died in the blood feud with this family and one other family. And when they die, they just stick the picture up. Five men. And I looked around the room, all these other young lads. And I said, and what's going to happen to them? She says, well, this one, he's 19. When he's 20, he's a target. And I thought, dear God, the lengths that people will go to for revenge. Elona told me that the two families she's working with, and they're at feud with one another, been at feud with one for ages. They've got four sons each, only now they've only got one son each. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, the lengths people will go to for revenge. And then here's the thing that impacted me more than I can express, and I can't express it. Sometimes, you know, people see things like this and you say, well, how could there be a God? How could God let this happen? Can I tell you what? I experienced something last Monday morning, which to me is the ultimate proof about the existence of God. Because in the middle of all that revenge, in the middle of all that violence, and me as a dad, I've got two sons as well. I'm listening to them talking and I'm thinking, do you know what? If someone did that to my kids, I don't know what I might do. And then in the middle of all that, Elona, who's 31, she stopped and she said, do you know what? I've forgiven the killers of my husband. My son Gabriel has forgiven the killers of his father. And now what we're going to do is we want to try and bring some hope and some help and some healing into the middle of this situation. So not only do they feed the 
they actually meet the needs of the individuals, but they're fighting the principality and the power at a government level as well. And as I looked at that and as I listened to that, and I could see tears running down this guy's eyes, because she's got credibility, hasn't she? I haven't, but she has, because she's walked that walk. As I looked at that, I thought, do you know what? This is evidence to me of the existence of God. Because you could not manufacture that. You could not create that. There is nothing on the planet which could change the human heart like the power and the grace of God. The lengths that people will go to for revenge is nothing compared to the lengths that people will go to for forgiveness. And so I just want to ask you to pray for her and to pray for the church. Would you do that? You know, I, I just, just, you just look at that situation and you think, God, but in the middle of that, there's a light shining. In the middle of that, there is hope. In the middle of that, there's God. And at the beginning of this year, we felt God gave us a verse as a church, which was Hosea 10, verse 12. For it is time to seek the Lord. At the end bit of it says, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. First bit was, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, break up your unplowed ground. And throughout the year, that's what we've been looking at as a church. But over the next month, I want us to look at this last bit of the verse. It's time to seek the Lord until he's found. In other words, not a little bit of seeking the Lord, but extreme seeking the Lord. How far are you willing to go? What are you willing to do in order to find God? In order for God to come? In order for God to break through? In order for God to to shower his righteousness on you? What are you willing to do? And I wonder, just a question before I go on, I wonder how much of us, or how many of us, are extreme when it comes to sharing our faith with those that we love who don't yet know Jesus. I know that some of you perhaps here today, you might say, I'm not a Christian. Your journey and your seeking, fantastic. That's brilliant. Please keep doing that. But for those of you that already are, and you are a Christian, how much, how extreme are you in your faith sharing with those that you love? You know, if you didn't come to boot camp on Tuesday night, I want to encourage you to come this Tuesday. We've got some CDs. You can take one. You can have it. And you can listen to Tuesday night and then come again. But I'll tell you what, if we can't even give it three or four weeks to come and be trained and get confident in it, what hope have we got? But if we could do that, it's a great start, isn't it? Do you care enough about someone in your life to invest the next three Tuesday nights in order that somebody might get a chance to hear, receive and respond? to the gospel of Christ. What I want to do this morning, I want to tell you a story, and it's a really, really well-known story, and it's a story of extreme wrestling. Is that right? Anyone like wrestling? None of you would admit it, but some of you secretly watch it. I don't mean doing it, I mean watch it. But anyway, this is a story about extreme wrestling, and if you know the story, you'll, you'll know a little bit about it, but let me, just, let me just describe the context here. In the blue corner, weighing in at 90 kilograms, Son of very famous uh, Jewish man called Isaac, grandson of even more famous Jewish man called Abraham, nicknamed the schemer, is Jacob. In the red corner, weighing in at infinity, (laughs) son of nobody, because he's uncreated, is God. And so the wrestling match that we're going to look at is between God and between this guy called Jacob. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. That would be fantastic. Genesis 32, let's read the story. That night, this is verse 22, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. 
So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you what? Unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Fancy saying that to this man. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. I know this story well. I'm sure some of you do as well. And... um, I think it's a great story. <laughs> it's an amazing story. It's bizarre. It's quite extreme. The Bible says that it's Jacob under man. Now that term man doesn't refer to a, a, a literal man. It's what's called a theophany. It's like a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Could be an angel. But it's basically God appearing in the form of a man. So to Abraham, God appeared as a traveller. If you read the Abraham story. To Joshua, God appeared as the commander of the armies. But to Jacob, God appears as a wrestler. Because there's some stuff in Jacob that needs wrestling down. And that's what's going on here. Now, what are they wrestling over? This extreme wrestling contest is over what? Well, it seems to me that it's over that one phrase where Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he's wrestling with God over the blessing of God. He wants to be blessed by God. How many of you want to be blessed by God? Now, here's the interesting thing. What do we mean by that? Because we use it all the time, don't we? Oh, bless you. Oh, blessing. What do we mean by that? Let me tell you what I think we've interpreted it to mean. We've interpreted that the blessing of God is health, wealth and happiness. It's stuff. That if we've got health, wealth and happiness, we are blessed by God. The problem with that, there's lots of problems with that. The problem with that is that many of you in this room, even over the last two months, have been to different countries in the world where people don't have health or wealth and happiness, but you know that they're blessed by God. Am I right? So, so that's a little bit counterintuitive. And the other problem with that theory is that Jacob had all the stuff. Jacob had the people. He had the flocks. He had the herds. He, he was a very rich man. He had all the stuff. But he's wrestling with God for a blessing which is deeper than the things that God can give us. There's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with all of that. And God will bless you with some of that if he chooses to do it and that's fine. But there's a blessing of God which is much deeper than the tangible things that we can touch, eat, feel or or wear. And I think that the wrestling contest here is, is, is so much deeper than... Oh, God, bless me so that, you know, give me a new car, give me a job, give me health, give me happiness. It's much, much deeper than that. Let me say a few things about um, the wrestling contest. It's a contest before an audience of one. In other words, there's nobody else there. And some of the biggest battles you and I will ever fight are the battles that nobody else sees. Am I right? They're the biggest battles we'll fight. Number two, it's a contest that requires the emptying of strength before you can be victorious. The river Jabot literally means pouring out. 
And, and uh, this contest is about Jacob pouring out his strength, his abilities, his experiences, his talents, in order that God would fill him with his. And thirdly, this is a contest that is about the central issue of our lives. If you were to boil down what is the central issue of our life, it could be summed up in one word, control. The central issue of our life is who is driving the car of my life? Who really is driving? You see, 20 years before this instance, Jacob deceived his father into giving him the birthright that should have gone to his elder brother Esau. He then went on the run. He then came to his uncle Laban and he, and he fancied Laban's daughter. That's a Greek Hebrew term, okay, if you wonder what that is. And he wanted to marry her and Laban tricked him. So for seven years, he tricked him. He said, you work for me seven years and I'll give you the daughter you want. And he did that and he tricked him and he got the other daughter. So then he worked another seven years for the one that he wanted. So he spent his whole life either deceiving or being deceived, running or running after. He's scheming, he's manipulating. And that's the context to this. But God has got him at this point on his own to wrestle him down and to wrestle out of him the central issue of his life. Who is in control of your car? Who's driving? A guy called John Ortberg is an author that I respect a lot and read a lot of his stuff. He said this, Jesus does not come to rearrange the outside of our life the way we want. He comes to rearrange the inside of our life the way God wants. Just pause there and read that, would you? Jesus does not come to rearrange the outside of our life the way we want. He comes to rearrange the inside of our life the way God wants. I don't want to keep using Eleanor because she's so extreme and so out there. But, you know, she said to me while I was away, you know, I want, I, I, I want Tanny back. You know, I wish Tanny was back. I wish Tanny wasn't killed. She says, but what God's doing in me through this experience, I want that as well. I wouldn't, it doesn't make up for it. And do, do you know what I'm trying to say? But the outside of life is not the way she wants but that's not God's primary, primary concern, the outside of our life. His primary concern is the inside of our life becoming like he wants. And I don't know whether we're extreme enough to want that in the way that God wants it. That we're extreme enough to allow God to wrestle us down until we become the people that he wants us to be. So what I want to do in the uh, time that I've got left this morning is talk to you about three areas that I think... Jacob was wrestling God over and for, okay? Three areas that he wanted God's blessing. And this isn't stuff. This isn't health, wealth and happiness. This is much deeper and much more important and valuable than that. The first thing was this. He was wrestling God over a fractured relationship. You see, when I was out on my bike a few weeks ago and I was thinking about this and I was cycling away, you know, um, like two mile an hour um, downhill. And and I was cycling away and, uh, and I was thinking about this story and thinking, oh, God, why, why was he wrestling with God? What's the blessing of God? Then I thought, Dumbo, look at the context. The context is right in the middle of the, of the beginning or the beginning of a restoration process of a broken relationship. And I felt God say to me, Leon, how much, how, how willing are you to wrestle for relationship? How willing are you to wrestle even with God for a broken or a fractured relationship? And it's very interesting to me that Jacob is on his way to see his brother Esau, who he hasn't seen for 20 years. He stopped running away and he's running towards, towards the broken relationship. 
There's an African proverb that says this, you can outrun that which is running after you, but you cannot outrun that which is running inside of you. And it's like, after 20 years of running, he's like, actually, I'm running, but what's really running is inside of me. It's this broken relationship. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. How big a deal is relationship in the kingdom of God? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the ultimate. Any, any advance or decrease on 10? It's pretty important, isn't it? In fact, it's so important that Jesus predicted church growth, but prayed for church unity. So when Jesus in John 17 has the great high priestly prayer, he doesn't pray that the churches will grow and that the music will be fantastic and that the buildings will be great. He doesn't pray for that. He predicts that churches will grow when he says, the gates of hell will not stand against it. I'll build my church. No problem. But what he prayed for more than anything was unity of relationship, that they would be one as we are one. There is nothing that hurts the heart of the Father more than broken relationship, especially in the body of Christ. And so... And so the Apostle John says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now look at this in chapter 33. So he, he wrestles with, with God. He then goes to meet Esau, first time in 20 years. This is unbelievable. In verse 10, it says, Esau tries to give him a gift. Jacob says, no, 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 please. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Wow. To restore relationship, it's like God. It's like God is in your face. Chapter before, chapter 32, when Jacob begins to walk this path towards restoring a broken relationship, it says, Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. I want to tell you something. When you walk towards restoring a relationship, God will join you. God will join you in unbelievable ways because there is nothing that thrills the heart of God more than the restoration of relationships. Now, I need to say a few cautionary words here. <laughs> Sometimes it's right to run away and not to try and restore a relationship. If the nature of that relationship has been that it's been abusive or that it's been damaging, it's right that you walk away and that you shut the door on it. Now, it's always right to forgive that's always a given, but forgiveness and restoration of relationship are different things. Yes? But as much as, so I want to say that because some of you may hear what I'm saying and you may think, oh, God, God's saying then, not me, but do you, know, you may think through this that I've got to go and restore that. I'm not saying that. You may have been in a divorce situation or a breakdown relationship with a parent or something. It may have been abusive and controlling and it is such and so extreme in that sense that it's not right for you to try and restore it. It's right for you to forgive, but may not be right for you to restore it. But most of our relationships don't fall in that category. They're the extreme end. Most of our relationships are not like that. Most of you won't have to forgive people who've killed your husband. All right? That's extreme. Most of our relationships aren't in that category. Am I right? And so what I want to ask you this morning is this. Is there somebody in your world who you are in broken relationship with, who this morning you know, you know, you know that God is prompting you to begin that walk of restoration today. Are you willing to wrestle with God for a broken relationship? Let me say something else about relationship, which is slightly different. How many of you are, are, have started attending this church within the last 12 to 18 months? Just show your hand. 
Fantastic. That's awesome. Brilliant. Can I just say that when you come to a new church, especially a church like this, it can be quite difficult to, to integrate, to get to know people, to feel that you belong. And we spend ages praying and thinking about how to make it better. And we want to make it better for you. But can I say to you, wrestle us with it. Wrestle for relationship. Take your time. Don't give up. It takes some effort. It takes some wrestling. It takes some grappling. And we're so deep and spiritual at this church that we begin the process with coffee and donuts. I mean, how amazing is that? So next week, if you're new, come along to that. Come to the journey course. Get involved in a life group. But I know many people who've been to this church and think, oh, well, I came for a few months and, and all I did was I just said hello, hello, hello and, and didn't go for Wrestle for it. Wrestle for it. It's going to take a bit of time. It's not because we don't want you to be involved. It's just because it's difficult and we have to wrestle each other and with each other for it. Does that make sense? And for those of you that have been here longer in the church, some of you who are, uh, (laughs) I'm speaking to my mind here now, think words carefully, engage brain, mouth, foot, all that. Those of you who are more mature in your Christian faith, I sense that we're in a season as a church where there's a lot of new people coming in a lot of younger people emerging, a lot of new leaders being developed, which is very exciting. And for some of us who have been around a little longer, who are a little more mature in terms of experience, we're struggling with that a little bit. Wrestle for it. Don't fold your arms like the elder brother. Don't walk outside the party. Get in the party and say, what can I give? What can I do? Wrestle for it. Don't just get miffed. Don't just leave another, go to another church. Don't do that. Wrestle for relationship. So, Jacob, in this moment, is with God and they're extreme. And I'm not going to let you go till you bless me because I want to see relationship restored. Secondly, he's also wrestling for a fractured character. Take a little look at the screens. You think, what on earth is that got to do anything? I've told the illustration before. That's based on a, a sociological experiment that was taken years ago um, where, where they, they did that in a laboratory experiment and the, and the kids were you know, given this whole delayed gratification. And the idea was that those who could wait have an increased chance of later in their life, less likely to get divorced, less likely to get in trouble with the law, more likely to hold down jobs, etc. Because that ability to deal with your weaknesses and your desires is what's at point here. Now the point is this, we've all got our marshmallows, haven't we? <laughs> we've all got our marshmallows, which actually are part of our character weaknesses that we are either going to accept or we're going to wrestle over. And for some of you guys that were here yesterday morning, we had a great men's breakfast with Mark Greenwood and he was talking about the same thing, giving up your weaknesses. And it was really interesting around tables that he spoke about the first point, you've got to name your weaknesses, you've got to know what your weakness is. So why don't you turn with the people that you're with and tell them your weaknesses. That was exciting for those of us that knew each other and those of us that didn't know each other. But we've all got them, haven't we? We've all got those character weaknesses. And what's at stake here with Jacob and God is a wrestle over character. And you see, it's my conviction that the older you get, the longer you're a a Christian, sometimes what can happen is you're less likely to wrestle over your character than you were when you were first a Christian. It's like you just accept stuff and you think, well, that's just who I am and that's it. Or you can say, God, I want to be more and more like Christ. And I want to spend the rest of my life and I want to wrestle with you over my character. 
And I know some of my marshmallows. <laughs> I'm sure you know some of yours. And, and this interesting thing here, because God says to Jacob, what's your name? Duh, like he knows his name, he's God. But he says that because it's important that Jacob says it. And in the Bible, someone's name, especially in the Old Testament, wasn't just about who they were, it was about their character and there was a sense of authority. And he says, my name's Jacob, which means schemer, deceiver. And God wrestles with him and he changes his nature. He changes his name from schemer to Israel, the one who struggled, who wrestled and prevailed with God. And he changes his name because he's working on his character. Huh. How many of you want integrity in your life? Do you know what integrity really means? The, the actual original meaning of integrity is more around the seaworthiness of a ship. In other words, a ship is, meant to, is said to have had integrity when it's ready, when it doesn't only look like it's ready for the sea, but it actually is ready for the sea. And here's the thing about integrity. Integrity works like this. The closer you get, the better it should look. That's not often what happens, is it, with us? So often, sometimes the closer you get to someone, the more you think, ooh, ooh, they look great from distance. Do, do you know what I mean? They look great from the stage. What a godly man. Ooh, know him a little bit more now. But actually, integrity works like this. You look at a ship from a distance and think, that oh, looks a great ship. But when you get closer, you think, do you know what? This does look a great ship. This will sail. Now, if you want fame and success and power and influence, you can get all of that and you can get it quickly and you don't need integrity. Just look around you in the world. But if you want something that really lasts and that is really valuable, you don't get it without integrity. And it doesn't come without being willing to wrestle God for it. And so what I want to say to you this morning, have you stopped wrestling with God over an aspect of your character? See, the minute you stop wrestling, I used to think like this. You see, one of my many issues, okay, this is the shallow end of my issues, all right, is impatience. I'm incredibly impatient. And I used to think in my 30s, oh God, I'm still impatient. And I got to a point where I thought, if I don't get patience now, do you know what I mean? (laughs) And I used to think that because I was still wrestling with it, it meant I was failing with it. But you know what? You only fail when you stop wrestling with it. Because some of your weaknesses will be with you the whole of your life. My impatience will be with me all of my life. But you know what? It's better now than it used to be. That's because I'm trying to wrestle with it. The minute you stop wrestling is the minute you've given up. Some of you, you may be struggling with addictions, alcohol, cigarettes, not me. (laughs) Put it back. Porn, sex, all kinds of stuff. The minute you stop struggling over that, that's the dangerous time because you've lost but whilst you'll keep struggling and keep wrestling and saying, God, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. God, I'm not going to let you go till this bit of my character is transformed into the image of Christ. You're on the victory side. you know that? You are on the victory side. So if you stop wrestling with God over an aspect of your character. And the final thing is this. I think Jacob was wrestling for a fractured relationship, a fractured character, and also a fractured future. The amazing thing is about wrestling in the kingdom of God is it's so upside down, inside out, back to front, but the right way up. You get me? It's so crazy. So he ends up winning, but he's the one that's limping physically. So like he's limping physically, and yet the point that God touched him on his hip, that was his point of strength because he, he could run. But God touched him at his point of strength because actually his point of strength is also his point of weakness. And for the rest of his life, he walks with a limp and everybody sees a man who walks differently because he's wrestled with God. 
And I wonder how many of us have a heart's desire that people would see us and that we would walk differently because we're men and women who wrestle with God. He pours everything out, but that's the only way he can be filled up. He runs back towards the past, but ends up running forwards into the future. It's all crazy. Somebody once said this this in a book I was reading recently. Though you cannot go back and make a brand new start, my friend. Anyone can start from now and make a brand new end. And I wonder whether that's a word for somebody. Just going back to that image from the mission film. You know, for some of you here and you're thinking, do you know what? I'd love to have a future in God, but look at my past. Look at my present. And I want you to know this. God doesn't just look at your past. God sees you from completion. Do you know that? God looked at Peter and he called him the rock. He says, I'm not a rock. Look at me. You are, because I see you as that. You may not be it right now, but that's what you will be. Any one of us, no matter what we've done or has been done to us, we can make a brand new start and we can have a new end. And Jacob is wrestling with God over a fractured future. And his future is going to be that he's going to be Israel. He's going to build a nation. He's going to be a legacy builder. He's not going to be a runner and a schemer and a manipulator. He's going to be a builder. He's going to be a father. He's going to be a king over a nation. And as we just come to an end, I kind of said to God, God, I don't understand what wrestling with God means. I said, I'm sure there are going to be people there on Sunday who say, all right, I've got to wrestle with God. How? What does that look like? It's so abstract. And then I thought, well, let's look in the natural. What does it mean to wrestle? And these three things came to me. Firstly, you cannot wrestle without contact. So if we want to wrestle with God, you need to contact God. You need to be connected to God. You need to put yourself in a position where God can connect with you. And there are obvious ways for that, which I'm sure many of you know. You can't do it at a distance. You can't virtually wrestle with God. A photographer was once asked this question. What's the secret to great photographs? He said, well, the secret to great photographs is get close enough. Because invariably, if the picture's not that good, it's because you're not close enough. And I wonder if the key to wrestling with God, for some of us, is get close enough. Begin contact. Secondly, I thought, actually, you can't wrestle with folded arms. Hmm. Wrestle requires openness, doesn't it? You can't, if I went to wrestle Dan... Okay, and we both looked at each other. We ain't going to be much of a wrestling contest, is it? But the minute we went like that, all of a sudden, we can wrestle. Not that we're going to, you understand. But, <laughs> but wrestling requires openness. And what does that mean? Well, well let me give you a few, uh, few things. When you come together on a Sunday like this and somebody speaks the word of God, whoever it is, have a Bible and have it open. Get a notebook, get a pen. Use your smartphone, whatever you want to do. But be open and be listening and be receiving and then do it. Openness also means get people who you love and who care for you and who trust you to speak into your life. Be open to their input. One of the things we were talking about with the guys yesterday. We've got people in our life who love us enough to tell us the truth. Be open. Openness is so important. When we fold our arms, you know what God says? That's you. Knock yourself out. God is not going to unprize our arms away. Openness is a doorway into wrestling with God. And the third thing is this, wrestling requires effort. Effort. It ain't going to all happen instantly. Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I want to finish by reading a story, which I've read before many times actually, and I've read it in a different context. I want you to listen to the story. I'm not going to tell it like I normally do. I'm going to read it as, as it was originally written. Because there's an image in here that I want you to go away with. 
Because I don't want you to think this morning that this is all about you. This is all about your effort. Because actually, God wrestled with Jacob as well as Jacob wrestling with God. You know that? See, as well as Jacob not letting God go, God didn't let Jacob go. So, so I, want you to, I want you to listen to this story. Some years ago on a hot summer day in South Florida, a little boy decided to go for a swim in the old swimming hole behind his house. In a hurry to dive into the cool water, he ran out the back door, leaving behind shoes, socks and shirt as he went. He flew into the water, not realising that as he swam towards the middle of the lake, an alligator was swimming toward the shore. His father, working in the yard, saw the two as they got closer and closer together, the child and the alligator. In utter fear, he ran towards the water, yelling to his son as loudly as he could. Hearing his voice, the little boy became alarmed and made a U-turn to swim towards his father. It was too late. Just as he reached the father, the alligator reached him. From the dock, the father grabbed his little boy by the arms, just as the alligator grabbed his legs. That began an incredible tug of war between the two. The alligator was strong, but the father was passionate and he wouldn't let go. A farmer happened to drive by, heard his screams, raced from his truck, took aim and shot the alligator. Remarkably, after weeks and weeks in the hospital, the little boy survived. His legs were extremely scarred by the vicious attack of the animal. And on his arms were deep scratches where his father's fingernails had dug into his flesh in an effort to hang on to the son that he loved. The newspaper reporter who interviewed the boy after the trauma asked him if he would show him his scars. The boy lifted his trouser legs and showed the scars. But then with obvious pride he said to the reporter, but look at my arms. I have great scars on my arms too. I have them because my dad wouldn't let me go. The guy that wrote the story says this, you and I can identify with that little boy. We have scars too. No, not from the alligator, but scars of a painful past. Some of those scars are unsightly and have caused us deep regret. But some wounds, my friend, are because God has refused to let you go. And in the midst of your struggle, he's been there holding on to you. The scripture teaches that God loves you, that you are a child of God. He wants to protect you and provide for you in every way. But sometimes we foolishly wade into dangerous situations, not knowing what lies ahead. The swimming hole of life is filled with peril and we forget that the enemy is waiting to attack. And that's when the tug of war begins. That's the image I want to leave you with this morning. That that tug of war, that wrestle, that intense, extreme, I ain't going to let you go. It isn't just you and God, folks. It's God and you. Do you know that? God will not let you go. The problem is, we let him go. We fold our arms. And it's only when God's openness meets our openness, when God's wrestle meets our wrestle, that we begin to engage at a deeper level. It's only until we seek him, until he comes, that something will change in our spiritual and in our life. And so what I want to do this morning is to really encourage you and invite you to, I guess, begin something with us over the next few weeks. You know, I said to some guys this morning, whenever I'm teaching and whenever I'm helping our other communicators, one of the things I'll always say is this, you know, this is a golden rule for me. Whenever you're preaching, you want to ask yourself three questions. What do you want people to know? What do you want people to feel? And what do you want people to do? And I have to say to you, this morning, I don't know the answer to the third question, what I want you to do. All I know is what I sense God wanted you to know and what I sense he wanted you to feel and experience. And I want to just throw it out. But what I would say is I do think God wants you to open, open to something new. How many of you want to experience something new in God? That begins when we begin to wrestle. When we say, do you know what? That fractured relationship, 
I'm going to walk towards it. You know what? That character issue that I've let go of, rest, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to wrestle it down. I'm going to wrestle it down until, until I become like Christ. Till that thing has no power over me. I'm going to wrestle it down. And that future, that future that God has for me, that perhaps I've said, oh no, you know, I ain't got a future because of all the stuff in the past. I'm going to cut away that rubbish. I'm going to walk towards the future. Begins when we open up to God. Can we pray? I want to ask you just to stand with me. Would you do that? Gareth, if you could start to play, please. Let's just close our eyes. Close your eyes just for a moment. Just going to wait on the Lord. In a moment, we're going to sing a song of response and of surrender. I guess what what I just sense now that that all all for us to do really is just just to indicate somehow to ourselves and to God that we want to wrestle with God that we want to be open, that we want that contact, that, that we want to be those people that don't keep running away, but actually stay and engage with God. And we let God do what He wants to do in our lives. So, so what I want you to do is this, that if you want to do that, and perhaps you, there is, you know, as I've spoken this morning, you, you identify that, yeah, there's a, there's a relationship you need to walk towards, or there's a, a character issue that you need to wrestle over. Or there's a future issue that you need to walk into. And what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you just to stretch your arms out like this. Just as a way of indicating to God and to yourself that this is you. That you want to be someone who wants to wrestle with God. And I want to pray for you. Father, I want to just pray. that God, here we are, your people. We want to be an extreme people who are willing to go to amazing lengths and are willing to do amazing things. Lord, not for kicks, not for extremism and not for sport and not for love and not for any of those things, but for you and for your purposes and for your glory. So Lord, I invite, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and really ask that you'd meet us, many of us here. I pray, God, for relationships that have been stirred up in people's minds. I pray, Lord God, that as a result of this morning, there will be phone calls made, there will be letters written, there will be texts sent, there will be the first step on a journey to to wrestle over a broken relationship. Lord, I pray for character issues and weaknesses. Our marshmallows, Lord God, I pray that as a result of today, there'll be some of us that will go back and say, do you know what? Yes, I've failed. Yes, I've given in, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to wrestle this thing down. And Lord, I pray for those of us that have consigned our future to the past Lord I pray for a new day pray for a sense of a new day today here we are open here we are open to you Lord I pray by your spirit that you'd meet us that you would meet us Lord God you the God who never lets us go we want to be people who never let you go neither until you come until you come in Jesus name